0: Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christoginia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, August 29, 2015. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Due to content of the material we are going to present tonight, we have a variety of things, a little Bible, a little Bergammeister, and a little Nesta Webster in response to Maurice Jolie. In the end, we hope that it all makes sense. I have a few things to discuss briefly. Melissa and I will be headed north for seven or eight days, sometime around September 7th and, once again, going as far as the Philadelphia area. If you live along the way and would like to see us, see us. please send an email, and we will do our best to stop at a convenient point. After this, we do not plan on heading north again, at least until next spring. There is a new Saxon Messenger website, and while not all of the content is moved from the old one yet, Enough progress has been made to activate it now. We will move any remaining content in the weeks to come. The new Saxon Messenger site will be somewhat more focused in its scope, and we hope to be expanding its content regularly over the months to come. Of course, the main feature of the website will be the magazine itself, and we hope to have a new issue of that before the follow-up. With this, we are going to present The Protocols of Satan, Part 3. And we're not quite up to the protocols themselves yet. Yahweh willing, we will be soon. Here we shall conclude our presentation of the booklet, The World Jewish Conspiracy, written by Dr. Karl Bergmeister and published in 1938, which defended the authenticity of the protocols against some of the evidence presented at the Bern trial of 1934 and 1935, where a lawsuit had been tried against certain Swiss politicians because they had used the protocols as propaganda in their campaigns. The Jews were upset by that. While it is accepted that Bergmeister could not prove the actual origin of the protocols and that the actual origin of the work that we know as the protocols in that form, in that form, that's the key words there, may never be determined. He did indeed prove that the early attempts by Jews to discredit them as fabrications or forgeries, were themselves based upon lies. Before beginning, I am going to take a short digression to discuss the word forgery. I often hear the argument concerning the protocols that since a forgery is a copy of an original, the Jews prove that the protocols are authentic by calling them a forgery. Now, this might be funny, and it might even convince the simple-minded, but it should not be repeated because it is simply not true. If you examine not only the modern dictionaries, but also the original definitions for the word forgery in the first English dictionaries by Samuel Johnson, in the 1700s, and Noah Webster in America in the 1800s, you will see, and this is also the way that the word was used in legal terms in the 1800s, you will see that the definition of the word is much broader, but that more precisely, a forgery is a document produced and ascribed to someone other than the person who produced it. So from a Jewish perspective, where the protocols are disclaimed, the word forgery is appropriate. However, we know better than to believe the Jews. And although certainly not all Jews are responsible for the protocols, the protocols do indeed represent the desires of world Jewry for the subversion of Christendom. And while all Jews are certainly not acting consciously to affect those desires, Jews as a group do indeed act naturally towards their accomplishment. So many Jews may be able to plausibly deny the protocols, but that does not mean that they are fraudulent. They are certainly not fraudulent, and the proof is in the pudding. We're looking back 100 years now, 95 years since the protocols were first published in the English language, and we can see that they certainly have been implemented throughout the West. And therefore, all of these early men and women who attempted to sound the alarm 100 years ago or thereabouts, they were certainly correct to do so. In the first five parts of his booklet, Bergmeister both addressed at length and discredited the statements of Catherine Rosiwell and the French Count Armand Duchela, the first figures to emerge and to attempt to discredit the authenticity of the protocols. They both had French and Russian connections, and therefore they both appeared to have credibility, while they also both turned out to be obvious frauds. We believe that this very circumstance that the first witnesses against the authenticity of the Protocol set forth by the Jews had turned out to be liars and frauds is in itself a monument to the authenticity of the Protocols. They began to be discredited as soon as they appeared in the West, but Jewry, already had another path by which to reach their objective to cloud the issue, which was the sudden discovery in Istanbul of the dialogue in hell between Machiavelli and Montesquieu by the English journalist Philip Graves who promptly noticed as soon as he allegedly discovered this book, promptly noticed the similarities between that writing by Maurice Jolie and the Protocols, even though the Protocols had only first been published in English translated from Russian, at a very recent time, in 1920, unless we count the few excerpts published in the Philadelphia newspaper in October of 1919. We shall begin further discussion of Graves and the similarity of the protocols to the dialogue of Jolie after we finish presenting the Bergmeister booklet. In this respect, the Jews are most adept that through their control of so much of the media, they can raise great clouds of dust by which to obscure the truths about anything. This is the same tactic which is seen in so many old Hollywood cowboy movies where the bad guys raised a dust cloud to make off with the loot without being seen. The same Jews do the same thing over and over again to this very day. When something happens, they come out with a hundred different conspiracy theories, a hundred different news stories, a hundred different accounts. And you pick which one, which path to follow. When one line of lies and deceit is exposed, the Jews have another one already prepared to fall back on. Look at the Holocaust tales. At first, the Jews talked about trains that were moved through power stations, electrocuting the prisoners on board. Those stories came out of Soviet Russia in 1945. Then... It was the carbon monoxide trucks that went through Jewish neighborhoods rounding up Jews and serving as portable gas chambers. When those stories and others like them were all discredited, they were quickly forgotten. The media just dropped them like a slimy pig. But the Jews had already devised other lies to propagate in their place and a few of them, those which were the least incredible, are accepted as truth to this very day, even though there has been plenty of evidence compiled to show that they are also lies. With that, we shall present and offer our own comments on the sixth and final part of Bergmeister's booklet, which is subtitled, The Contents Confirm the Authenticity. And about that part, Bergmeister was certainly correct. But we're going to have issue with him right here in the first paragraph. Bergmeister says... To prove the authenticity of the protocols from their contents would be beyond the scope of this treatise. There exists upon this subject a literature so extensive, and more particularly any expertise drawn up by Colonel Fleischhauer for the lawsuit in Bern, a mass of evidence so overwhelming, that I will confine myself to the following remarks only. It is not by any means first in the protocols, but already in the books, here we go, of the Jewish prophets, that the political objectives of the Jewish people are laid down. Isaiah, in particular, in chapters 40 to 60, promises quite undisguisedly world domination to the chosen people. The same thing exactly is the aim of the protocols, which may be said to differ only in the sense that they are a modern strategic plan drawn up in a manner more suited to present-day conditions. Now, in Isaiah, God said he was going to do it, and the children of Israel didn't have to do anything. They didn't need a plan. All they needed was faith in their God. The actions of the Jews are absolutely contrary to everything which is found in the Hebrew Scriptures. Here is an example of the most significant problem that Christians, or even whites who claim not to be Christians, have when considering the Jews, that they continually accept the Jewish narrative concerning the writings which we call the Bible. For 1700 years, or 1800, or in some cases 1,900. It has been taken for granted that these Jews of today are the people of the book, or the chosen people, Israel and Judah and Hebrews. The claims are accepted as religious dogma, and anyone who questions them is immediately dismissed and marginalized even, and this is the real kicker, this is what I really don't get, even by those who pretend to be aware of Jews and to hate all things Jewish. For example, David Duke recently attested in a discussion with Alex Jones that he had no dispute that the Jews were the people of the Old Testament. Making such an assertion, He demonstrates that he also believes this, which is, in reality, the biggest of all Jewish lies. But there is much resistance amongst most white nationalists, whether they claim to be Christian or not, to actually study the Bible and ancient history in order to investigate whether the claims by the Jews are actually true. Many of these people express a lack of concern, dismissing it all as Jewish. But that lack of concern and that unwillingness to study the matter actually facilitates the greatest of Jewish lies, which, once exposed, would unveil the devil for what he really is and discredit him forever. The bottom line is this from those of us who have studied all of the source material in great depth. The Jews are not properly Israel or Judah or Hebrews. Imagining a Jew to be a Hebrew or an Israelite is like imagining those Sand Niggers in London to be Englishmen or those Turks in Berlin to be Germans or those niggers in New York to be American colonists. This is in spite of whether there are a few things which can be found in the Old Testament which seem to fit the Jews. A few things in any old book taken out of context by dishonest assessments can be made to fit practically anyone. The only Jewish feature in the Old Testament is the book of Esther, which is an interpolation, an addition to the Old Testament that early Christians did not accept. There are 450 years between the most recent books of the Old Testament and the first accounts related in the New Testament. Understanding those 450 years is extremely important to understanding this that the writers of the New Testament themselves understood that most of the original people of Israel and Judah had been scattered abroad and distributed throughout Anatolia, Mesopotamia, Asia, and Europe long before their own time, and that None of them were Jews, while only a small portion of the people of Israel and Judah remained in Judea. Now this is absolutely without doubt. We've dug hundreds of Assyrian Babylonian inscriptions out of the ground, Persian inscriptions out of the ground, that proves that narrative beyond doubt. However, as the New Testament writers also assert, many of the people in Judea were not Israel and Judah at all, although they were claiming to be, and that too can be proven without a doubt. So we see the warnings of Christ in the Revelation where he says, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Judeans and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. And a little later he refers once again to to them of the synagogue of Satan which say they are Judeans and are not. But do lie. And yes, the original Greek word is Judeans, not Jews. Jews is a medieval contraction of the original. Judea was a Roman province. A study of Roman history of the period proves that Judea was a multiracial, multicultural Roman province until the same culture was forced on all of its people before the Romans came along. The original Greek word is Judeans. Likewise, the pagan Greek geographer Strabo, who was writing before Christ was even born. Strabo died in 25 AD. Christ was not quite starting his ministry. Strabo had said in Book 16 of his geography that the Edomians were mixed up with the Judeans. That can be checked out right online at the LaCurtius website or, or archive.org. And that they shared in the same customs with them. The Judean historian, Flavius Josephus, explains how this had happened. Strabo doesn't explain it, he only attests it. And the, Greek, the, the writers of the New Testament and the prophets of the Old Testament also attest that the Judeans of the time of Christ were indeed these Edomites or Edomians, the eternal enemies of the original Israelites. It is these from whom we have the Jews of today. For this reason, we have called our ongoing series presenting the protocols here, the protocols of Satan. The Jews collectively are indeed Satan. We can confirm the truth of these assertions beyond all reasonable doubt through the materials which we have mentioned. We're going to believe the contemporary accounts of the historians and the writers of the New Testament. Or we could believe the lies of the Jews today. Which do you prefer? This is why Jewry had persecuted Christianity and also instigated the pagan Romans to persecute Christianity for 300 years, and that too is recorded in ancient documents. Imagine the world today, and how these people who call themselves Jews have infiltrated every nation, and now identify themselves with every nation which they have infiltrated. So we have Jews who claim to be Americans, or Germans, or Englishmen, or even Irishmen. Yet, in the end, they are always treacherous Jews. Why do those who understand this take it for granted that the Jews are the people of the Bible? They actually also take it for granted that these people known as Jews have done this infiltrating only recently. That is a failure on their part. In truth, the people known as Jews are not Judah or Israel at all. And they have been infiltrating and subverting every ancient kingdom and empire. They did it to Egypt. They did it to Assyria. They did it to Sumer for as long as we have had kingdoms and empires. For instance, for example, the American Constitution left a legacy, as its preamble explicitly states, for the European Christians who signed it and for their posterity, None of its signers were Jews, yet today the Jews openly claim it for their heritage as well. How did that happen? The prophecies of Isaiah, when properly examined, concern a people who were removed from the ancient kingdom of Israel nearly 800 years before Christ. And none of those people were ever called Jews. None of them were ever called Judeans. But today's Jews also claim that heritage for themselves. Whites who continue to believe those lies concerning the Bible and the Jews will die in their ignorance and they are of no real use to our race. You are facilitating the Jews, accepting their lies. Bergemeister's next conclusion is valid, but the Jews really get their religion from the Talmud and not from the Bible. And in the Bible, there's no mention of the Talmud. That's because they are not the true people of the Bible. They claim the one, but they practice and keep the other. And the Talmud is 100% the antithesis to the Bible. Everything the Bible forbids, the Talmud permits. Every perversion that's odious to the Aryan soul The Talmud encourages, Bergmeister says, countless statements from rabbinical sources and by Jewish politicians documentarily attested agree in astonishing fashion with the general lines of the protocols, and that's absolutely true. He goes on to say, the following fact, moreover, cannot be refuted, namely, that the political occurrences of the present day, 1938, taking place as they do under the influence of Jewish Freemasonry, are developing in exact accordance with the lines laid down in the protocols and that more particularly in soviet russia under the leadership of Jewry, the protocols have already become an accomplished fact it is it is only necessary to think of the destruction of the Christian religion as ordered in the protocols, of the destruction of all estates, of the moral poisoning of youth, and of the undermining of the family, of the enslavement of the working people, and of the famines created in a fashion so conscienceless of the way in which Moscow organizes agitation and incitement of the masses in all countries, more especially in the case of Spain, the revolution in the 30s, of the continuous strikes and economic crises in France and of the subsidized and controlled revolutionary movements in Mexico and China to come to the only possible conclusion, namely that Jewry, with the help of Bolshevism, Marxism, and Freemasonry is undeviatingly carrying out what is prescribed in the Protocols in order to obtain for the Jewish people that world domination which is promised to them by their God, Jehovah. And Bergemeister demonstrates his confusion once again, because the Jews are actually the eternal enemies of Jehovah. If we Use that name for Yahweh, the God of the Bible. Only a Christian could understand that the same Isaiah who so many times prophesied of Christ and whom Christ had so often quoted, Isaiah is the second most popular book in the quotes of Christ, would not, in turn, offer any blessings to the eternal enemies of that same Christ. The Jewish interpretations of Isaiah, which Bergmeister is following, are lies, and the prophet Isaiah himself would have despised those Jews. The Bible does offer a narrative concerning the treachery of Jewry, however. This is summarized in the Revelation where it says that Satan shall be loosed out of his prison when the Jews broke free and were emancipated in Europe, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breast of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, when. Rem- which is an analogy. The city is a metaphor for the land of the true people of God. This description is what is described in the Protocols of Satan, and it is being fulfilled today where the Christian nations are indeed being surrounded and now flooded with non-white aliens by those very Jews. They are Satan, who has gathered the nations, all the heathen nations together against the people of God? Thereafter it says, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And Isaiah describes that, where he wrote in his prophecy that in that day Jehovah, with his soaring great and strong sword, shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent. Even Leviathan, that crooked serpent and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Elements of this same story are seen in the pagan Germanic literature concerning Ragnarok and the Midgard Serpent. The Midgard Serpent was born of giants. And the Hebrew Bible tells us that the ancestors of the enemies of Israel, the Edomites and the Canaanites, were born of giants, produced by the fallen angels, the same way they were in the Sumerian, Assyrian, and Babylonian literature. The Hebrew Bible, except for a few parts added by the Jews, actually both reflects and originates many Aryan myths and Aryan values. But enough of that. Back to Bergmeister. This fight for world domination has been in full swing ever since Italian fascism put an end to the destructive activities of Freemasonry that most dangerous of all Jewish secret societies. And since Germany has declared openly that it is the Jew and the Jew alone who is the driving force behind the destruction of political order among the different peoples. In complete accordance with the sense of Protocol 7, the dogs of war are about to be let loose against those states who desire to free themselves from the Jewish reign of terror, states such as Germany, Italy, Spain, Portugal, and Poland. Actually, this is only the latest manifestation in a battle for world domination, which has now endured for many thousands of years, not just a couple of hundreds. The Bible describes that battle, and the enemies of God have confused the identities of the participants. But if I sit here today and I say, no Jew is an American, or no Jew is an Englishman, I may be applauded. However, if I sit here and say, no Jew is a Hebrew, or no Jew is an Israelite, and I am criticized, then those people who criticize me prove that they are actually the friends of the devil. You white nationalists who claim that the Jews are the people of the book are doing the devil a service. Think about it. They are infiltrators now. They were infiltrators then. We don't learn from history. They infiltrated and destroyed many white nations, empires, and kingdoms long before the time of Christ and they're still doing it today, because we don't get it. Bergmeister continues by saying, On the above subject, the following forms an interesting extract from the Review Internationale of Secret Societies from April 1st, 1937. Now I went looking for this publication and I couldn't find it. I did find references to this periodical and I found references to other issues of this periodical in articles not related to the protocols, even in academic articles. So there is no doubt that this periodical existed. I just can't find copies of it online. If I did, I'm sure it would be in French, and be useless to me. Bergmeister quotes from the International Review of Secret Societies, and he says, A new war in defense of democracy and of alleged law is being prepared in all haste. An alliance of all the Jewish groups is already complete. It bears the official title of the alliance of the three great democracies, the English, the American, and the French. Israel requires a new world war, and soon Israel, really the Jews, is positively of the opinion that time is getting short. To them, their world war is a necessity in order that, in the name of indivisible peace, all that portion of mankind who wish to cast off the Jewish yoke may be laid low. Somewhere on the, um, I just thought of this, somewhere on the Mein Kampf project at Christagenia is a, um, a page from an old Time magazine which trumpets basically The Preparation of War Against Germany, Italy, and Japan by the United States. Now, the United States, of course, didn't enter the war until December 1941. But that magazine is dated for 1938. Here, the International Review of Secret Societies was writing about it in April of 1937. The First World War was billed by the Jewish media as the war to end all wars. And in America, in 1917, the American president, the whore, the American Nero, Woodrow Wilson, went before a joint session of Congress on April 2nd to seek a declaration of war against Germany in order that the world would made safe for democracy. This was in spite of the fact that up to this point in American history, in American policy, democracy was generally and correctly seen as a subversive political philosophy by the guardians of the republic. There were warnings about democracy in U.S. Army manuals up until the beginning of the 1900s. However, Wilson was a tool in the hands of those same Jews. The Italians were on the side of the British and French in the First War, and the rise of fascism to counter Jewish domination through democracy was unforeseen. Mussolini and Hitler, breaking their respective nations free of Jewish domination, that is the only reason why the second war was necessary and the Germans and Italians and here even French language periodicals knew that it was coming that it happened just as it is written here in this international review of secret societies and as Bergermeister was writing in 19. a year, at least a year before Germany was forced to war, demonstrates that Bergmeister was indeed correct. He continues speaking about America, Britain, and France, and he says, It is just the three countries above mentioned who today are completely under. Jewish Masonic control. Practically every member of their respective governments is a Freemason. In their case also, in all key positions, men of Jewish origin are to be found, or persons who either as a result of marriage or a financial obligation are open to Jewish influence. Now, in France, Leon Blum, a Jew, was the prime minister before the war. In America, of course, it was Franklin Roosevelt who had more Jews in his government than it had ever been in any American government. I will, in general, refrain from mentioning names. I should like, however, to point to one man only, in regard to whom Jewry are always proclaiming that he is not a Jew, and that's a lie. Namely, Stalin. But Stalin, in point of fact, is married to a Jewess. And his all-powerful Secretary of State is his brother-in-law, Kaganovich. Only statesmen, completely blind, fail to recognize that the fate of the peoples entrusted to their charge no longer depends upon themselves. And that they will most certainly bring their peoples under the Jewish Bolshevist Bolshevist yoke, if they do not, first of all, unite to fight the Jewish world danger. It is neither from Germany, Italy, nor Japan that danger threatens, but solely and only from the direction of Jewry, who declared war against Germany in 1933, who in every country play a pretendedly patriotic role, but at the same time, by means of their international press, incite one country against the other in complete accordance with the directions of Protocol 7. And he goes on to quote Protocol 7, and he says, throughout all of Europe, and by means of relations with Europe, in other continents also, we must create a ferments discords, and hostilities, we must compel the governments of the goyim to take actions in the direction favored by our widely conceived plan, already approaching the desired consummation by what we shall represent as public opinion, secretly prompted by us through means of that so-called great power, the press which, with few exceptions that may be disregarded, is already entirely in our hands. That was 100-whatever, 120, 130 years ago. And reading contemporary German documents of the time, such as Wilhelm Marr, who was a German journalist, it was not an empty boast. Of course, we shall discuss these things as we present the protocols themselves. However, the truth of Bergmeister's assertions cannot be questioned by any rational man in this aspect. He continues, the plan of Jewry, as developed in the protocols becomes from year to year more clear and more terrible. Whoever still persists in refusing to recognize it is either seriously incapable or else guilty of a crime against his own people. You know, a lot of Americans don't realize to what extent the Communist Manifesto and the protocols have been implemented here in America. Read the Communist Manifesto. We are a communist nation. But because it was done over so long a time, so incrementally, in small steps in many aspects we never noticed it. We've accepted communism. Today we accept communism as freedom and because we do not study even our own history and especially local history. Local history is a lot more important to study than national and international history in many aspects. We don't study local history And because of that, we don't know how our ancestors had it 200 years ago. So we can't see the communist beast that we live under. It's incredible, but it's true. The plan of Jewry, as developed in the protocols, becomes from year to year more clear and more terrible. Whoever still persists in refusing to recognize it, is either seriously incapable or else guilty of a crime against his own people. Every American is guilty of that crime. And once again, I will take as my authority a Jew who unconditionally stands for the authenticity of the protocols and who asserts that Jewish mentality alone could draw up a program like that of the protocols, So that, if only on these grounds, it is not possible to doubt the authenticity of the document. The authority referred to is the late Arthur Trevich, author of German Spirit or Judaism, published in 1921 on page 74, of which we find the following. Anybody, this is the quote from a Jew, I guess Bergmeister just loves quoting Jews. Please don't start quoting Jeff Rantz or Nathaniel Kapner or any of those clowns, Henry Macow. Wow. Even when they agree with us, they're proving to us or, or they're attempting to convince us that there are good Jews. And in truth, there is not one good Jew. Every Jew is a devil. One Jewish gene, and you're a devil. That's the way it is. That's just the truth. Anybody quoting Arthur Trebich, anybody who liked the author, has long since realized, seen and heard with ominous dread, all the thoughts, aims, and intentions derived from the entirety of our economic, political, and intellectual life, and expressed in those secret documents, can with absolute confidence assert that they present the most genuine and unalloyed expression of that versatile spirit which is striving towards world domination, and that an Aryan mind however far it might have been driven along the road of forgery and calumny by anti-Semitic rancor, could never, under any circumstances, have devised these methods of action, these underhand expedients, and these swindles as a whole. And in, 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 in the area that he writes... German spirit or Judaism. Even Arthur Trevich was a latecomer. Wilhelm Marr lamented the triumph of Judaism over Germany, over Germanism in Germany as early as 1879. Bergmeister's booklet is completed. we presented it. In its entirety, except that here at the end, he records a conference which took place at Erfurt, that same university where Martin Luther and the German humanists had begun over 400 years before, interestingly. And of this conference, Bergmeister says the following. A conference of the World Service, the international organization for defense against Jewish aggression in all countries, took place in Erfurt from the 2nd to the 5th of September of this year. Distinguished experts, authors, and political leaders, more especially from the following countries took part, Belgium, Denmark, Germany, Great Britain, Finland, Greece, Holland, Italy, Yugoslavia, Canada, Letland, and the USA. Norway, Austria, Poland, Russia, meaning emigrants, Sweden, Switzerland, Spain, South Africa, Czechoslovakia, and Hungary. After the Commission appointed to inquire into the authenticity of the protocols had rendered a report of its two years of activity, the Congress unanimously adopted the following resolution. And he quotes, that the present conference of the World Service taking place at Erfurt from the 2nd to the 5th of September, 1937, in which many experts, authors, and political leaders from more than and there's a number that's actually missing, I'm sorry, different countries are taking part, passes the following resolution relative to the authenticity of the protocols of the learned elders of Zion: that the verdict given in Bern on the 14th of May, 1935, to the effect that the protocols are a forgery, is a faulty verdict that it only became possible in consequence of the judge having erroneously based his judgment upon the expertises of the two Swiss experts recommended by the Jewish side, C.A. Loosely and Professor A. Baumgarten. After he had heard the 16 witnesses for the Jewish side and after having refused to hear any single one, of the 40 witnesses brought by the Aryan side. The verdict in Bern has not shaken the authenticity of the protocols. For their authenticity, the following irrefutable fact, among many others, bears witness namely, that Jewry in the social, political, and religious sphere persistently model all their actions along the lines laid down in the protocols. The protocols of Zion are accordingly the authentic program of Jewish world politics. And that's absolutely true. And the Jews do act often naturally, most often naturally, towards those ends, without a doubt. The shame of it is that many Aryans get involved Any secret societies, ally themselves with the Jews, and cloud the issues. Of course, this conference had taken place under the auspices of the National Socialists. Therefore, it may be fitting to record what Adolf Hitler had said concerning the protocols of the learned elders of Zion in Book 11 of Mein Kampf. How much the whole existence of this people is based on a permanent falsehood is proved in a unique way by the protocols of the elders of Zion, which are so violently repudiated by the Jews. With groans and moans, the Frankfurter Zeitung repeats again and again that these are forgeries. This alone is evidence in favor of their authenticity. What many Jews unconsciously wish to do here is clearly set forth. The Jews do this out of their nature. They're not all. Their rabbis might be conscious about their, their their plans and their endeavors. But most Jews just do it out of their nature. They go along with it out of their nature or out of the instructions they get in their synagogues. However, and this is most interesting, most Jews never attend a synagogue. Most Jews are atheist Jews or or simply non-synagogue-going Jews, the same way most Christians are basically non church going but will still tell you they're Christians. Of course, Jews are a lot more cohesive in the racial aspect of their being than Aryans are, which is their biggest advantage. But most Jews just do this naturally. Jews will go into the voting booth and vote for a nigger or, or vote for Um, the, the legality of homosexuality or to legalize divorce or to legalize any form of feminism. Anything that subverts Christian society, Jews do naturally when they're not doing it consciously. And Adolf Hitler clearly agreed with that. It is not necessary to ask out of what Jewish brain back to Adolf Hitler, right? These revelations sprang, but what is of vital interest is that they disclose with an almost terrifying precision the mentality and methods of action characteristic of the Jewish people, and these writings expound in all their various directions the final aims towards which the Jews are striving. The study of real happenings, however, is the best way of judging the authenticity of those documents. If the historical developments which have taken place within the last few centuries be studied in the light of this book, meaning the protocols, we shall understand why the Jewish press incessantly repudiates and denounces it. For the Jewish peril will be stamped out the moment the general public comes into possession of that book and understands it. And if Hitler could only see us today, he would marvel at the depth of our stupidity as all of the protocols have been accomplished, and collectively we still do not see the Jewish peril. Now we shall move on from Dr. Bergemeister to discuss other aspects of the story of the Protocols. As we had explained here last week, we were somewhat disappointed that in his booklet, Bergmeister did not sufficiently address the contents of an article written by the Jewish, I'm sorry, by the English journalist Philip Graves in August of 1921, some six months after the claims of Radziwill and Dushela, were first set forth by the Jews. Graves had written that the Protocols, which he rather consistently refers to as the Geneva Dialogues, had been composed with the aid of the Dialogue in Hell between Machiavelli and Montesquieu, a book written by the French lawyer Maurice Joly. The first edition of which appeared in Brussels in 1864, and the second in 1868. Therefore, here we shall endeavor to discuss the Graves Articles and the infamous dialogue of Marie Jolie in relation to the protocols. We hope to do this from several sources. Although we have facsimiles of the original copies of each of these works, the articles by Philip Graves and the book by Jolie, since they are very lengthy, we shall not present them here. The three-part Graves article by itself is nearly as long as the Birdmeister booklet, and Jolie's dialogue is about 345 rather short pages of French, which I cannot read, but even if I had a translation, that would be a pretty lengthy read. We will publish copies of these at Christagenia, along with this podcast. Speaking of the evidence presented at the Byrne trial.
1: The Russian historians
0: Lev Aronov, Henrik Baron, and Dmitry Zubarev wrote the following in reference to the Philip Graves articles in their 2009 article entitled Princess Catherine Raziwill and the Protocols of the Elders of Zion The Hoax as a Lifestyle. And this is what they wrote. A few months later, statements by Catherine Rodziwill and Dusheva become much less important in the debate about the protocols. In the summer of 1921, the British journalist Philip Graves in Constantinople buys from a Russian emigrant, Mr. H., a publication of the 19th century in which it is easily discovered when compared with the text of the Protocols, that in the truest sense, it is the basis for the creation of an anti-Semitic document. This edition, Dialogue in Hell between Machiavelli and Montesquieu, or Montesquieu, I'm sorry, or alternately titled Machiavelli's Politics in The Nineteenth Century, published in 1864, was directed against the Second Empire of Napoleon III. A political satire by Maurice Jolie, this direct evidence of the protocols being a forgery, though it still remains unconvincing for fans of conspiracy theories, was published in the newspaper The Times of London. And the issues from the 16th to the 18th of August 1921 and upstaged the previous performances, meaning those of Catherine Radziwill and Count Dushela. We do not believe that the sudden discovery by Philip Graves of the book by Jolie, The Dialogue in Hell, and the contention that it must have been the source for the Protocols was coincidental, or even an accident. We rather believe the jury needed another story by which to discredit the protocols, and that Radziwill and Dushela served their purpose as useful distractions until something better and more substantial could be found or devised. Therefore, the Jolie book was suddenly discovered at this time because jewelry needed it, and it really wasn't even discovered at this time, as we will find out from Nesta Webster. Whether or not this is Jolie's work is immaterial, although we shall not question it in this regard. So we shall present a lengthy discussion in order to determine if the Jolie material is really the final proof against any claims for the legitimacy of the protocols. And really, Nesta Webster basically puts it to rest tonight, but we'll go a little further. To begin this endeavor, we shall present a discussion of the protocols from Appendix 2 of the book, Secret Societies and Subversive Movements by Nesta Webster, which was evidently first published in 1924. When we first read of the Jolie book in relation to the protocols, we concluded that both must have come from the same source rather than the protocols having been taken from Jolie. Nesta Webster will help vindicate that very position. From the book, Appendix 2, the the appendix is titled The Protocols of the Elders of Zion." And Mr. Webster says, Contrary to the assertions of certain writers, I have never affirmed my belief and the authenticity of the Protocols, but have always treated it as an entirely open question, and she refers her readers to her book, World Revolution. The only opinion to which I have committed myself is that, whether genuine or not, the Protocols do represent the program of World Revolution, and that in view of their prophetic nature, and of their extraordinary resemblance to the protocols of certain secret societies in the past, they were either the work of some such society or of someone profoundly versed in the lore of secret societies who was able to reproduce their ideas and phraseology. Now, in the first Segment of this series, I have said that about Jolie, that he was a Mason and that he had worked in the um, Department of State in France, in Paris, for 10 years while he was also a lawyer. He was indeed versed in the lore of secret societies, he was indeed of the ability to reproduce their ideas in phraseology. To continue with Nesta Webster, who will actually also um, corroborate that position later on, she goes on to say, the so-called refutation of the protocols, which appeared in the Times of August 1922, she gets the year wrong in the book, it could be a typographical error, tends to confirm this opinion According to these articles, the protocols were largely copied from the book of Maurice Jolie's The Dialogues in Hell, published in 1864. Let it be said at once that the resemblance between the two works could not be accidental. Not only are whole paragraphs almost identical, but the various points in the program follow each other precisely in the same order. But whether Nihilus, meaning Sergei Nihilus, who had who had written the first books, including the Protocols, but whether Nihilus copied from Jolie or from the same source from where Jolie derived his ideas is another question. It would be noticed that Jolie in his preface never claimed to have originated the scheme described in his book. On the contrary, he distinctly states that it personifies, in particular, a political system which has not varied for a single day in its application since the disastrous and the loss too far off date of its enthronement meaning that he wishes that it would come to be sooner. Could this refer, Webster asks, only to the government of Napoleon III, established 12 years earlier? Well, of course not. That's an excellent question. Of course not. Or might it not be taken to signify a Machiavellian system of government of which Napoleon III was suspected by Jolie at this moment of being the exponent. We have already seen that this system is said by mister I-, I won't I could say Monsieur Mr F. de Mazeres in his book Machiavelli and the influence of his doctrine on the opinions, customs, and politics of France During the Revolution, that's a long title, published in 1816 to have been inaugurated by the French Revolution and to have been carried on by Napoleon I, against whom he brings the same accusations of Machiavellianism that Jolie brings against Napoleon III. The author of The Prince, he writes, was always his guide. And he goes on to describe the parrot cries placed in the mouths of the people. Sounds like today's people after they watch CNN. The hired writers, salaried newspapers, mercenary poets, today's country western musicians, and corrupt ministers employed to mislead our vanity methodically. All this being carried on by the scholars of Machiavelli under the orders of his cleverest disciple. We have already traced the course of these methods from the Illuminati onwards. Now precisely at the moment when Jolie published his Dialogues in Hell, The secret societies were particularly active, and since by this date a number of Jews had penetrated into their ranks, a whole crop of literary efforts directed against Jews and secret societies marked the decade. Eckert, with his work on Freemasonry in 1852, had given the incentive. Cretino Jolie referring to the Jesuit historian Jacques Cretino Jolie, who is not a known relation to Maurice Jolie. Cretino Jolie fall- followed in 1859 with a book, The Roman Catholic Church in Front of the Revolution, reproducing the documents of the hot vent Romaine, which is a secret society which existed from 1814 through 1848. In 1868 came the book of the German anti-Semite, Goethe, which in a fictional novel, Goethe also supposedly plagiarized Jolie, and his novel was compared to the protocols to this day, actually. And in the following year, on a higher plane, the work of Gougenot de Mousseau, entitled The Jew, Judaism and the Judaization of Christian Peoples. Meanwhile, in 1860, the Alliance Israelite Universelle had arisen having for its ultimate object the great work of humanity. It sounds like all Jewish institutions, right? The annihilation of error and fanaticism. And they didn't even have Muslims in France in those days. The union of human society in a faithful and solid fraternity. What does that sound like? A formula singularly reminiscent of Grand Orient philosophy. In 1864, Karl Marx obtained control of the two-year-old International Working Men's Association, the International, by which a number of secret societies became absorbed. And in the same year, Bakunin followed, founded his alliance Social-Democratique on the exact lines of Weishaupt's Illuminism. And in 1869, he wrote his polemic against the Jews, mainly directed against the Jews of the International. The 60s of the last century, therefore, marked an important era in the history of the secret societies while America was fighting a so-called civil war. And it was right in the middle of this period that Maurice Jolie published his book. Now, the Jewish Virtual Library says of the Alliance Israelite Universelle that it was, quote-unquote, the first modern international Jewish organization founded in 1860, centered in Paris. The foundation of the Alliance expressed the renewal of, of Jewish cohesiveness after a short period of weakening in the second half of the 18th and up to the 40s of the 19th century. That's all smoke and mirrors. Its inception was stimulated by ideological trends and political events in the national and international spheres in the second half of the 19th century. I just thought I would... Look that up to see what the Jews say about that. Now it will be remembered, back to Vesta webster that amongst the set of parallels to the protocols quoted by me in World Revolutions, and we will hopefully discuss these one evening in the near future, two were taken from the sources quoted above. The documents of the haute Vent romaine and the program of Bakunin's secret society, the Alliance Social Democratique. Meanwhile, Mr. Lucien Wolf had found another parallel to the protocols in Goetsch's book, which was titled I'm sorry, I don't have the title right now. She's quoting from Wolf. The protocols. Mr. Wolf had no hesitation in asserting or in short, an amplified Im- imitation of Goethe's handiwork. Goethe had um, written a novel with a short title, and I simply don't have the name of it right now, but Mr. Webster didn't name it either, and he wrote it under the pen name, A pen name that that would um, make you think he was an Englishman and not a German. And the novel supposedly expressed a lot of the um, same goals and objectives found in the Protocols of Xeon. And he or she is saying that this Mr. Wolf had found in Goethe's book a parallel, meaning basically. Uh, another plagiarism, (laughs) another similar statement or or exact statement, exactly similar statement, I should say, to something that Goethe wrote in his book, To the Protocols. The um, mainstream sources speaking of Goethe's book claim that he is also plagiarizing Jolie. Nesta Webster is refuting that because she's going to show that there are many statements similar to the things that Jolie said and that are found in the Protocols, which are found in a lot of these writings of the various secret societies of this period. The Protocols. Mr. Wolfe had no hesitation in asserting are in short an amplified imitation of Gauche's handiwork. And she quotes the source that, that the that the journal actually that he had made that statement in. So this Mr. Wolf is saying that the protocols are a copy of Gauche's work rather than Jolie's. And he went on to show that Niles followed this pamphlet very closely. The protocols were then declared by Mr. Wolf and his friends to have been completely and finally refuted. Now, Mr. Webster's agreeing that all these documents are saying a lot of the same things, but she goes on to conclude. But alas for Mr. Wolf's discernment. The Times articles came and abolished the whole of his carefully constructed theory. Wolfe was writing in 1920. The Times articles came out 13 months later, 14 months later, in August of 1921. They did not, however, demolish mine, meaning Nesta Webster's. On the contrary, they supplied another and a very curious link, in the chain of evidence. For it is not remarkable that one of the sets of parallels quoted by me appeared in the same year as Jolie's book, 1864, and that within the space of nine years, no less than four parallels to the protocols should have been discovered. Let's recapitulate the events of this decade in the form of a table and the proximity of the dates will be then be more apparent. 1859. Crisneau Jolie's book published containing documents of the Secret Society Haunt vent Romains, and in her book in her earlier book Nesta Webster in World Revolution had pointed out the protocols and the similarities of the protocols with the similarities of some of those documents of the hot then Romaine. 1860, the Alliance Israelite Universelle was founded. 1864, the First Internationale was taken over by Karl Marx. 1864, the Alliance Social Democratique of Bakunin was founded, and in the literature of their society in World Revolution, Nesta Webster. Pointed out further parallels with statements in the protocols. 1864, the same year, Maurice Jolie's Dialogue in Hell is published. 1866, the First Congress of the International at Geneva. 1868, Goethe's Biarritz, that's the name of the book, Biarritz, parallels quoted by Mr. Lucien Wolf. So that's three books right there, three books from or connected to secret societies, which have parallels with the protocols. 1869, Guginot de Mousseau's book on the Jews and Judaism and the Judaization of the Christian peoples is published, and in 1869, Bakunin's polemic against the Jews is published. And she goes on to say that it will be seen then that at the moment when Maurice Shilley wrote his dialogues, the ideals, I'm sorry, the ideas they embodied were current in many different circles. It is interesting, moreover, to notice that the authors of the last two works referred to above the Catholic and royalist Guginot de Mousseau and the anarchist Bakunin, between whom it is impossible to imagine any connection, both in the same year, denounced the growing power of the Jews, whom Bakunin described as the most formidable sect in Europe, and again asserted that a leakage of information had taken place in the secret societies. Thus, in 1870, Bakunin explains that his secret society has been broken up because its secrets have been given away. And she cites a literary reference for that. And his colleague, Sergei Necheyev, has arrived at the conclusion that in order to found a serious and indestructible society, one must take for a basis the policy of Machiavelli. And she cites another literary source for that, which is actually a collection of Bakunin's letters. Meanwhile, Gougenot de Mousseau had related in the Jew Judaism and the Judaization of Christian peoples that in December 1865, he had received a letter from a German statesman saying... Since the revolutionary recrudescence of 1848, I have had relations with a Jew who, from vanity, betrayed the secret of the secret societies with which he had been associated, and who warned me eight or ten days beforehand, of all the revolutions which were about to break out at any point in Europe, I owe to him the unshakable conviction that all these movements of oppressed peoples, etc., are devised by a half-dozen individuals who give their orders to the secret societies of all Europe. The ground is absolutely mined beneath our feet, and the Jews provide a large contingent of these miners. She said that these words were written in the year after Jolie's Dialogues from Hell were published. It is further important to notice that Jolie's work is dated from Geneva. The copy which I obtained, which I will post this evening, is actually noted that it's from Brussels, but that's okay. The meeting place for all the revolutionaries of Europe, including Bakunin, who was there in the same year, and where the first Congress of the Internationale, led by Karl Marx, was held two years later. Already, the revolutionary camp was divided into warring factions, and the rivalry between Marx and Mazzini had been superseded by the struggle between Marx and Bakunin, and all these men were members of secret societies. It is by no means improbable, then, that Jolie, himself a revolutionary, should during his stay in Geneva have come into touch with the members of some secret organization who may have betrayed to him their own secrets or those of a rival organization they had reason to suspect of working under the cover of revolutionary doctrines for an ulterior end. And I've read in several sources that Jolie was a Mason. I do not know that Nestor Webster knew or thought him to be a Mason. So thus the protocols of a secret society modeled on the lines of the Illuminati or the hot vent romaine may have passed into his hands and had been utilized by him. As an attack on Napoleon, who, owing to his known connection with the Carbonari, now the word Carbonari actually means charcoal burners. They were a group of secret revolutionary societies founded in Italy. Owing to his known connection with the Carbonari, might have appeared to Jolie as the chief exponent of the Machiavellian art of duping duping the people and using them as the lever to power, the typical method in America, which the secret societies had reduced to a system. This would explain Maurice Lee's mysterious reference to the political system which has not varied for a single day in its application since the disastrous and alas, too far off, date of its enthronement. Moreover, it would explain the resemblance between all the parallels to the protocols from the writings of the Illuminati and Mirabeau's project, Project of Revolution of 1789 onwards. For if the system had never varied, The code on which it was founded must have remained substantially the same. Further, if it had never varied up to the time when Jolie wrote, why should it have varied since that date? The rules of lawn tennis drawn up in 1880 would probably bear a strong resemblance to those of 1920 and would also probably follow each other in the same sequence. the differences would occur where modern improvements had been added. Might not the same process of evolution have taken place between the dates at which the works of Jolie, 1864, and Nihilus, beginning in 1901, were published, I do not agree with the opinion of the morning post that the author of the protocols must have had the dialogues of Jolie before him. It is possible, but not proven. Indeed, I find it difficult to imagine that anyone embarking on such an elaborate imposture should not have possessed the wit to avoid quoting passages verbatim without even troubling to arrange them in a different sequence from a book which might at any moment be produced as evidence against him. For contrary to the assertions of the times, the dialogues of Jolie is by no means a rare book, not only was it found to to be at the British Museum, but at the London Library. And recently, I, meaning Nesta Webster, was able to buy a copy for the modest sum of 15 francs. There was therefore every possibility of Nihilus being suddenly confronted with the source of his plagiarism. Further, it is conceivable that a plagiarist so unskillful and so unimaginative would have been capable of improving on the original. For the protocols are a vast improvement on the dialogues of Jolie. The most striking passages they contain are not to be found in the earlier work, nor, which is more remarkable, are several of the amazing prophecies concerning the future which time has realized, and that alone is proof that the Protocols and Jolie must have each come from the same source, or similar sources, rather than the protocols having been copied from Jolie. They certainly were not copied from Jolie. That's a Jewish lie which persists to this very day. And Webster goes on to say, it is this later fact which presents the most insuperable obstacle to the time's solution of the problem. The London Times being, and the articles by Philip Graves being the first to simply claim that the author of the Protocols plagiarized Maurice Jolie because of the striking similarity of some passages. Webster's saying that Jolie's work does not include most passages of the Protocols, and it does not include the most striking passages of the Protocols, the most profound ones. She says, to sum up then, the Protocols are either a mere plagiarism of Maurice Schoey's work, in which cause, in which case, I'm sorry, the prophetic passages added by Nihilus or another remain unexplained, or, They are a revised edition of the plan communicated to Jolie in 1864, brought up to date and supplemented so as to suit modern conditions by the continuers of the plot. And that's the truth. Whether, in this case, the authors of the Protocols were Jews, or whether the Jewish portions had been interpolated by the people into whose hands they fell is another question. And Webster is always too kind to the Jews. Here we must admit the absence of any direct evidence. An international circle of world revolutionaries working on the lines of the Illuminati of which the existence has already been indicated, offers a perfectly possible alternative to the learned elders of Zion. In any case, most of those international revolutionaries happen to be Jews. It would be easier, however, to absolve the Jews from all suspicion of complicity if they and their friends had adopted a more straightforward course from the time the protocols appeared meaning if they hadn't started lying through their teeth. When some years ago, a work of the same kind was directed against the Jesuits, containing what purported to be a secret plan of revolution, closely resembling the protocols. The Jesuits indulged in no objectives, invectives, I'm sorry, but made no appeal that the book should be burnt by the common hangman, resorted to no fantastic explanations, everything the Jews did with the protocols, but quietly pronounced the charge to be a fabrication. Thus the matter ended. But from the moment the protocols were published, the Jews and their friends had recourse to every tortuous method of defense, brought pressure to bear on the publishers, succeeded in fact in temporarily stopping the sales, appealed to the Home Secretary to order their suppression, concocted one clinching refutation after another, all mutually exclusive of each other raising great clouds of dust, so that by the time the solution now pronounced to be the correct one appeared, we had already been assured half a dozen times that the protocols had been completely and finally refuted. And when at last a really plausible explanation has been discovered, why was it not presented in a convincing manner? All that was necessary was to state that the origin of the protocols had been found in the work of Marie Jolie, giving parallels in support of this assertion. What need to envelope a good case in a web of obvious romance? Why all this parade of confidential sources of information? The pretense that Jolie's book was so rare as to be almost unfindable when a search in the libraries would have proved the contrary. Why these allusions to Constantinople as the place to find the key to dark secrets, to the mysterious Mr. X, called Mr. H in another source, who does not wish his real name to be known, and to the anonymous ex-officer of the Akrana, and from whom, by mere chance, he bought the very copy of the dialogues used for the fabrication of the protocols by the akhrana itself, although this fact was unknown to the officer in question. Why further should Mr. X, if he were a Russian landowner, orthodox by religion, and a constitutional monarchist, be so anxious to discredit his fellow monarchists by making the outrageous assertion that only the only occult Masonic organization such as the protocol speak of, that is to say, a Machiavellian system of an abominable kind, which he had been able to discover in southern Russia, was a monarchist one. And she, citing all these details, evidently from the Philip Graves story or other similar sources revolving around it, it is evident, then, that the complete story of the Protocols has not yet been told, and that much yet remains to be discovered concerning this mysterious affair. In part one of the series, we had said in response to the London Times article, three-part article by Graves, that the truth is just as likely that Jolie, a lawyer who worked in the French Ministry of State, in Paris for over 10 years, knew what was circulating among high-level masons and Jews in France, and in turn borrowed from it for his book, which was actually a satire against the political ambitions of Napoleon III. Jolie, who was found dead in 1878 at the age of 49, is found to have also plagiarized other earlier works of literature. Mesta Webster has certainly more than corroborated our position. She's vindicated it. Webster did very well here, in our opinion at least. We will hear more from her on this topic soon. However, she is always hesitant to express The Jewish problem. The truth is that the secret societies did have plenty of Aryan members with internationalist aspirations. However, the Jews have always been the leading internationalists, and it has too often been a share of Jewish money or power that those Aryan sellouts have been after. The Jews created internationalism and sought out Aryans whom they could corrupt to get their way. The Jews used the secret societies for the advancement of that agenda. They could not do it otherwise as they continue using them today. The proof always lies in the results. We don't see it. Until it's a done deal. Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh. I will be here tomorrow afternoon with Sven Longshanks, English traders, and William of Orange. Good night.